listen. The world is talking. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, a talk show worldwide, the power of water, global warming, and your health. Now, what is Earth's secret? What has Earth been whispering for so long since the beginning of time is your life on this Earth is living with Earth. And it's something that we need to learn more about because we're learning more about global warming, climate change. We're talking more about the planet, the family of the planet. And there's so much to learn every day. And we're very confused. We all are. And then we get very busy in our very everyday life. And we forget about some of the things we need to be reminded of. The world is growing. Did you know that the population of our Earth since it was reported in July of 2008 is now 6,684,000,000 people and growing, of course. In about 100 years, it's estimated to be 12 billion. We know that over in China, they have 1.3 billion. In India, 1.1 billion. The Earth is growing, and there's much to learn together. So I've often said that Earth has a whisper and a secret. Let's learn together with common sense. Now, something you need to learn about the water. Without the water, there is no life. It's the primary of all. Without water, there's no oxygen. There's no water to grow the food, nutrition, and for life to exist. And that unknown moisture that we don't see in the air that we're breathing, fresh air, moisture to breathe. In this world, there are 1.1 billion people in developing countries that have inadequate access to water. Now, we're wondering now today, after all of those hurricanes and all that pounding water coming up, all that abundant water coming in, but believe it or not, it absorbs down into the earth, the earth absorbs it, but leaves little to the surface for us to live with because it is deplenishing. The earth has families that often spend 25% of their income just buying the water. Now, that can be anywhere in the world, even in the developing countries that are very prosperous. So stop to think about it. Something that you need to learn about the word dehydration as we talk in our shows about water and what's happening to the air we're breathing and global climate change and pollution and more. Dehydration begins the moment you left your mother's water bag and entered in the air you breathe at that second. No two eyes are alike because of dehydration. No two skins on the complexion alike because of dehydration. No two fingerprints alike because of dehydration. And let's use some common sense about dehydration. Without water, you cannot live. It's got to be the primary before the food. But you've also got to have moisture in the air for oxygen to breathe and your life to be healthy and detoxify. So listen. We're a very easy listening show. We've been told we've got a lot of doctors listening. We've got a lot of people from all walks of life listening. And we're excited. This week we have, I'm very excited, we have Eric Carlson who's in Washington, D.C., and Eric is the co-founder and executive director of CarbonFund.org. It's a topic about a nonprofit organization that is leading a fight against global climate change and learn, and, and the goals are 
climate change education, which I am excited about. Anybody who doesn't sell us, educates us. Carbon offsets and reductions, educate us. Public outreach to educate. And then our second guest today will be Mayor Kirk Hansen from Soda Springs, Idaho. And as you know, we're always wanting to hear about what's happening to the planet in other parts of the world. And today we'll be learning about Soda Springs. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back for after our break with our first guest, Eric Carlson. Listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming, and today our guest is uh, Eric Carlson. Eric, how are you? I'm doing just great, Sharon. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thank you for taking some time, because I know how busy you must be. Uh, before we begin uh, uh, and discuss the very vital mission that you have, I, you're calling it the word fight, but let's call it a very serious mission that you have in your group uh, for the world to listen to. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, Eric, and, and what you've done in your life and how you got where you're at with this particular uh, description of carbon fund. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I've been in the environmental community uh, pretty much my entire career, about 15 years now. And I started off at the Environmental Protection Agency really promoting energy efficiency through a number of programs called the Energy Star programs, which many people have heard of or seen the the label for on a lot of um, appliances and other products. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, And from there, I actually moved overseas for six years and helped the countries of Eastern Europe uh, re, um, reinvent themselves and their environmental laws and energy infrastructures to be more Western-oriented, to focus on efficiency, and as part of the whole kind of movement after the Berlin Wall fell. Uh-huh. Um, and during that time, uh, my wife and I, my wife is also a co-founder of CarbonFund.org, found that um, we saw a lot of the environmental destruction that had taken place under the uh, socialist regimes. Now, and of course, we see it in our country as well. And we wanted to find a way to be part of a bigger part of the solution and to empower uh, to empower lots of people to be part of um, part of this. And that's what's what spurned the genesis of. So you, re- you really formed like a crusade of getting people to assist on this team effort and mission to get the planet to uh, uh, be part of your new uh, concern about the crisis for Earth to have an eternity and not short-lived. In other words, you're both wanting to... Now, how many people do you have in your organization? We're at 12 uh, employees right now, and we have, mm-hmm. um, we've grown substantially over the last 12 to 18 months. I think we were four or five employees 
around this time last year. So it, we've really experienced some dramatic growth as people have, you know, learned, as people begin to grasp their impact on climate change mm-hmm. and want to be part of the solution to it. Okay, now let's, before we do that, go forward on that, I have been studying for 30 years and I got about the environment and and I was concerned about the health of the individual living on this earth with the environmental change and I need to tell you up front, I uh, have been out there a long time doing this, but I found that indoor conditions with the insulated windows and walls with no moisture, everything is just dry as the bone indoors and then we invented forced air heating and cooling. Uh, now, that was to save energy, wasn't it? And look what happened to the health and the symptoms that are out of control. The body, the body has to have moisture in the air to breathe, to detoxify. You chose to get in a education and research to educate on the outdoors, I'm assuming, concerns, the outside uh, on the planet. Is, am I wrong, or are you, are you studying indoors and outdoors? Uh, well, our... Our central mission is to reduce uh, climate change, global warming, and that is to reduce uh, carbon dioxide emissions globally. So we're, we're looking for solutions like wind energy and solar energy, um, energy efficiency and reforestation projects mm-hmm. around the world. But mostly, okay. so along with that, what we're really, uh, what our organization does is we help individuals and businesses be part of that. Really so you go in that. and offer services uh, to teach them some of the methods of recycling or learning how to uh, provide a healthier climate around wherever they're at. Right. And what, what we help people do first is to calculate or understand what's called your carbon footprint, and that's mm-hmm. the cumulative emissions that we're all responsible for from the energy we use, the cars we drive, the energy used mm-hmm. for the, the clothes that we wear, the food Thank that you. we eat, and, okay. and all that. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and then now, when there you brought we help up, people uh, the energy, uh, something that might be different for people is the energy you're using for the clothing you're wearing. Explain that. Well, what we're trying to do is get people to understand their uh, pollution impact holistically, and that is it's not just the, um, the burning of gasoline that comes out of your car. It's also the energy used in your child's public school, for instance, which we would not necessarily think of as being um, part of our carbon footprint, but it is. And, you know, the clothes that we all wear are made somewhere in the world, and they're made using energy. You have to burn, um, burn lots of fossil fuels to make the energy, to turn the, uh, turn the spools and, and everything to make, make our clothes. Or we have to, you know, the, the food that we eat has to be transported, it has to be packaged, it has to be tilled and farmed and all. And I okay, let's start out now, Dan, uh, for our audience and learn what you can teach us. Let's start out, first of all, we all understand the carbon and the automobiles and the vehicles on the, on the roads. Tell us about what you would do, though, with uh, the uh, industry that is providing schools. We'll start with that one. What do you think the first step in schools is? Well, there are, there are two approaches that we, that we ask everybody to do, regardless of whether you're a school or an individual or a, a big multinational company. In other and, words, you're talking about the building. Well, I'm talking about more the approach, and that is we want people to reduce what you can 
and offset what you can't. And okay, so now let's slow down uh, uh, I, 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 for a minute because this is so exciting and we need to really explain because uh, you know so much and now we need to teach. So you're saying is it the building itself, the building, the way it's uh, open the doors and you walk in, or it's the people and the building? There, it's it's the the building itself, the materials that we use in the construction of buildings. Some are uh, use a lot of energy. You can find lower energy uh, building products. Um, now, what or, would you suggest on the lower energy building products? What are they? Well, for instance, um, there are double and triple paned windows, which if you install them in your home or in your school or your building will reduce the amount of heating needed in your home because it traps in more of the heat or traps out, uh, it traps out more of the heat in the, in the winter and um, keeps the cool in in the summer. So that, that's an example. Using energy-efficient lighting is a very good example. Um, insulating your home or your whatever building you're in. Um, many buildings, that are, the energy codes in our country are, are extremely light in terms of what they require for insulating homes. And we should remember these are buildings that will be around for 100 years or more. And so we should build them right the You know, I need to say something there um, on what I was learning. And I can understand. I'm a lot. I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm 67 years old. I've been around a little bit, and I'm not smart. But what I'm saying is, is um, way back in time, my father was a contractor builder, but Cowan. And the thing is, is they, were in, they had to, with the codes, put in insulation and start the double panes uh, on the windows. Uh, they room the buildings became airtight, and as you are sitting there where you're at in, in anywhere in the world, I wherever I've been, and I'm sitting in a room where there's no windows, or the uh, building has windows with uh, insulated windows and walls, and there is no moisture in that room for people to breathe. The symptoms are out of control. Have you, because you're trying to cut down and save energy, have you come up with other solutions to add the health to the body in the building and the individual life that's living there so they can breathe because it took all the moisture out of the air because there's no moisture moving around. Is there some solutions to that one? Well, um, obviously the two have to go hand in hand. You have to have good indoor air quality or you you, you just increase in this, um, Have they come up with anything new on that, Eric? Uh, well, new the, solutions? Yeah, what you find is, uh, is advanced um, air ventilation uh, systems that change the air repeatedly. What you don't want is air just sitting there stagnant. Uh, I don't know enough about keeping rooms um, hydrated uh, or, or moist, but I definitely know um, um, a fair amount about the, the importance of making sure that um, that rooms and buildings ventilate, and so just because you're making the house tight doesn't mean that you don't want to change the air in the house. It's just you don't want the heat to to go out. So there are things called heat exchangers, okay. and which means you, as you're sucking the air out to change it, you want to trap that heat, bring fresh air from outside inside, and put it up against that heat again. And that's pretty now, standard in any, yeah. in any advanced building. Now, on the clothing, tell, teach us about what you've been learning about clothing. That was fascinating that you brought up our clothing. Yeah, well, 
you know, it goes really for anything that we that we produce uses energy, um, you know, in 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 its making, in its transportation, in its packaging, and uh, you know, you can really you can look around at anything. I can look around at my desk right now, and my coffee mug, it, you know, was made using energy. The paper on my desk, my monitor, my phone, that sort of thing. Um, you know, so I think as we as we understand the carbon and global warming impact of a lot of our purchasing decisions, hopefully that leads us to one, consume less, and and two, as we as we um, switch over to renewable energy to make these clothes and other products, I, I hope that we're also working to get rid of chemicals that aren't needed and you know and other things that may contribute to uh that new car smell which we all like but that i think that is uh, harming our air our indoor air now on the clothing uh my research was showing uh that the chem- chemicals that you pointed out now the one thing i learned and this is something for you to think about and maybe you already know and our audience may know something but and where we became a growing population on the earth and people wear clothing uh, for protection and all kinds of reasons. Uh, because we're a growing, I don't know if you heard at the beginning of the show, but the population is now at 6,684,000,000 growing. In 100 years, it will be 12 billion estimated population on this planet earth, a family earth. The chemicals that they were using to mass produce clothing to keep up with the growth of what's necessary with mass clothing production, some of the chemicals they started using to hurry up and do this. Um, people think it's because of making money. Uh, it's uh, it's a, really to try to get you what you're satisfied with because, Eric, have you ever gone out looking for something to purchase and maybe you weren't satisfied? So they come back in as a business and say, well, there's a lot of people not satisfied. Maybe we better come back and do something to satisfy them. So they mass produce today to keep you en- enough to shop for. Um, and that's what keeps the economy also growing for people to have a penny in their pocket to pay their bills, put beans on the table, wherever in the world they live. On the clothing, did you notice when you were studying the chemistry, the chemistry that was in some of that clothing to, to mass produce to get enough produced for people to have those choices. Did you learn anything about that? Uh, I, I can't say specifically uh, about clothes, but, I, but certainly the population issue is, is enormous in terms of its impact on not just on global warming, but on all of our resources. Mm-hmm. If we're heading from just under 7 to up to 12 billion people, you know, we, have, we already have issues with the fish stocks in the world. Um, we obviously already have global warming. We have methane emissions from um, uh, from livestock, all kinds of transportation issues, and as you pointed out um, uh, earlier, I think uh, we're already finding it difficult to find clean water, and the cost of finding clean water is um, is enormous and, and 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 getting getting more expensive. We've Eric, did you know? Did you know, issues. Eric, in, in foreign countries, why the business of drinking water became a business way back, let's say, 400 years ago? Because water was getting so bad at that spot, somebody in the neighborhood had good water, because the other waters were so getting bad. 
-hmm. So they began to sell, that's how long ago, with water. Water has not been an overnight issue, uh, but yet it's the life of Earth, and it must have the water to survive and be healthy and detoxify. Well, we're going to listen to our sponsor here in a minute. And, Eric, when we come back, start picking out some of the favorite education topics that you think our uh, listeners could learn to, learn to do with their daily lives. Do you think you could think that out? Sure thing. And we'll be right back. Uh, we're going to listen to our sponsor. You're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water. And our special guest is Eric Carlson from Washington, D.C., co-founder and executive director of Carbon Fund. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll come back, and Eric will teach us more. We'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. We are listening to the Sharon Klein Hour, the power of water, global warming, climate change, and your health. And we have Eric Carlson, who's got some ideas. He's the founder of um, an org group uh, that's a um, nonprofit group called Carbon Fund. Uh, Eric, well, teach us something that you think is so important for us to be more proactive about ourselves personally uh, uh, with our education today. Well, I think the, the first thing that I would say is that we all are responsible for global warming, and we all need to be part of the solution. And whether it's, again, your home energy use or the things that we consume, we need to understand that our, our existences are having a real impact on climate change, that climate change is happening fast now, and we need to, we need to do something quick. This, the next thing I would then say is, rather than be overwhelmed by, uh, by global warming, let's take this in parts. You know, let's take your car, for instance. You know, keeping your air, uh, your, your tires inflated maintaining your car, um, driving at sort of acceptable speeds and not going to you know, um, jackrabbiting off, uh, off a green light. All of those things contribute to, um, to reducing your, your emissions impact and save you money. And then the next step, when it's time to buy another car, ask yourself, do I need this car? Can I take mass transit? Can I do one, a flex car type? Uh, situation, or if I do need a car, what kind of car do I really need? And again, not only are those great for the environment, they're great for your wallet. Um, think about how much it costs just to have a, uh, that second car for a family of three or four. So that's how, that's how we talk to groups uh, a lot, is that let's take this one at a time. Is it your air travel? Let's talk about ways you can reduce your air travel. Um, if, is it in the office? Is it in your home? So I'm happy to talk about a any sort of category you like. Okay. What we might do is 
seems like you're really moving into the automobile, the transportation, our trucks, um, uh, the family, the, our family, and some, a lot of our family out in the in America. Uh, a lot of listeners in other countries have a lot of mass transportation, but in America, our, uh, we haven't been funding that. Uh, the the budgets fail. The the funds fail. They don't pass uh, to build those. And they're now thinking about them more because of what's happening with uh, the rising cost of, of of buying our gas. Um, people are thinking because they're they're finding it's a little it's changed. Um, when a person chooses not to live so close to the community, as we have all of us, many of us, they have to have automobile or there's no. Uh, transportation to get there uh, because they didn't have a budget to pass to even pay for it. Uh, what do people do to, to assist that? Let's say they have to have more than one car. Do you suggest that they sell the car and get a cheaper a car that would have more gas mileage? Are you suggesting maybe they hang on to the car they have and just start some new habits with it? Well, I think um, there are two answers to that. Well, the first is changing, you know, what habits can you change? Is, uh, is, is you mentioned something one. about the tires, and that is an interesting one not long ago. Somebody mentioned, well, have you thought about your tires? And a lot of people might not think about uh, the routine of keeping the tires inflation uh, inflated to the cars. Um, uh, right. I, I have no idea. I'm a typical female. Uh, then the other one is like you just said, how you take off from a stop sign or a stoplight or take off to go someplace. Uh, there's something there to learn that you don't just put your foot on the gas you take off. You t- do you take off slower? How do you take off? Mm-hmm. I, I would also say that there's uh, one of the things I hear from people I'll say a lot, it, people live in suburbs, and even if you're sort of out in, in a rural area, they say things like, I need my SUV. And you know what? I've found most people don't need their SUV. Uh, if, it's, if it's snowing, they're probably not driving anyways, and people, people will talk about what they, what they need, and we need to distinguish here the difference between what you need and what you want. Now, in America, especially where you're at, I've been in Washington, D.C., when there was snow and ice, and they've had their, the only people that got there, in fact, one time, one of my drivers, I was one of the few people who got to a um, meeting that didn't get in an accident because my driver had an SUV that could get me through that snow because for some reason in our country, we don't call up and say, I can't be there because of the weather. We try to get there. Um, uh, so I, I don't know if I agree with you there, do. but I do understand where you're coming from with your mission and your cause. Uh, that in our country, maybe we wouldn't be, shouldn't be thinking about supporting GMC and all these different con- uh, uh, companies and start supporting a transportation service and maybe passing the budget for them to build transportation services. Uh, that's where I'm coming from a little bit. Uh, but I do know what you're saying. I, this, this Earth has a lot of automobiles. Now, what are you guys learning about, let's say, the, in America, we do drive a lot of automobiles here, and we don't have the mass transportation that everybody has all over the world. What about China? What have you been learning there, Eric? Well, uh, you know, China is the sort of the 800-pound gorilla in the climate 
in, in the climate debate, mostly from their, from their um, increased use of electricity. But one of the things... Well, I'm thinking about automobiles. They yeah, say. well, one of the things people should know about China and their automobiles is that their emission standards are stricter than ours in the U.S. So if we are going to continue to have uh, the um, uh, in, internal combustion engines here in the United States, which seems like we will for a while, there's no reason in the world why we shouldn't be able to have them to um, be able to export them to China because of the emission standards. Now, I've got to ask you something. You said they're stricter in China with their emissions of the cars than we are? Yes. Because I had a report. Uh, you know, we have an office in Beijing, and I was told, and maybe I misunderstood, that they've been buying uh, a lot of cars from America, like Buicks, and they're driving thousands of new cars a month, in China that are hitting the roadways that are not having anything to do with emissions. Their emission standards, emission standards. Their emission standards are stricter than ours in the U.S. and getting more strict. And it's oh, a good and thing. how long ago did that happen? Uh, well, there's, there's sort of been a, a curve here. At what point theirs crossed ours, I'm not sure, but it's happened in the last few years. Um, so can, what, where would we go to find that, uh, Eric, so our listeners will know? Because that has yeah. been, we've got a lot of people who go to China, and I've talked to. And um, and then I've had reports where they've been buying all these cars from America, used cars going over from America, and they don't have the emission standards on them that we have had. They're buying a lot of cars. Now, is there a place to go to find out what they're doing with their automobiles with emission standards? Certainly, um, government, certainly government websites would have that, and I know that okay. Al Gore mentioned it in, uh, okay. pointed it out in, in Inconvenient Truth, um, okay. his, his movie. Okay, and then what would they go to? Automobile emission standards in China and America. Probably, sure. Okay, okay. Now, um, what are some of your others you've t- discussed? Um, I think you mentioned agriculture, didn't you, food? Uh, there's definitely, you know, everything we do has emissions, so you can, so, and, and food is no different. Um, certainly the higher we eat on the food chain, the, mm-hmm. more, uh, the more emissions associated with. I don't mm-hmm. know the exact numbers, but it's, it, it's something like it takes a couple hundred pounds of feed to, for a cow to produce one, uh, one pound of beef. Again, I don't know the exact number, but it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, so the uh, you know, doing that, so eating lower on the food chain is definitely important. A lot of people suggest that eating local uh, it has a lower impact on the environment, although that's countered a little bit by the relative efficiency of of um, getting your lettuce from from a farm that produces say a hundred million heads of lettuce in a year versus one that puts out, say, two or three hundred. Well, you hit, you hit on one there um, for health reasons. I was researching and found some evidence uh, with a theory that even Walmart is saying this, is if, you, if they can start purchasing uh, the, the eggs and the, and the produce and, and the meat and, the, and, and the, uh, your chickens and even your fish, if you can get it closer to the grocery store, the closest you can get to the grocery store, the healthier it is for you. So you're saying that probably that would even lower a lot of em- emissions uh, because it's, get, it's coming closer to the stores of where it's going to be selling. 
Well, th- a lot of people say that, but that's that, that's inconclusive right now because there is oh. something to be said for the efficiency. You know, if you want to look at, let's say, the let's just make it up, the pollution per head of lettuce, mm-hmm. you may have to transport that a shorter distance if it's on if it's at a local farm, but maybe. Um, but on a per head of lettuce basis, it may be more efficient to buy it from a farm in, let's say, Ohio, where they're producing, you know, several million heads of lettuce a year, and where everything is a lot more efficient and streamlined. Uh, I think the jury. You mean more government? You mean more government controlled? No, just that it takes. Just that you get economies of scale. You know, it's easier okay. to. You know, car companies can make a lot of cars more efficiently than you and I can because they've yeah. got they've got the processes down. Yeah. But more more regulators can yeah. watch it. More regulation? No, just just that that it's um by doing it's almost things, like for example, I was thinking uh what you might be suggesting and I'm not sure and that's what their uh, uh, audience might be thinking too uh, there. I'm just I'm just wondering is that if a person produces several thousand heads of lettuce and then there's a regulation on how much lettuce they can uh, grow. That would put that would channel people to be regulated easier than letting all of these other people be independently growing and adding the um, uh, food to the food chain closer to home. Because you, how would you keep up with all of them? That's what I'm wondering. Is um, that what you were thinking? Well, that 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 could be, but I think overall it still makes more sense from an efficiency standpoint to do things to make things big rather than small and I'll give you an really? example is that what you've been learning okay in, uh, just as an example it costs a lot less to uh, put up you know a hundred thousand solar panels in Nevada than it does to distribute a hundred thousand solar panels across the country um, it, it, it costs a lot less it creates more investment in solar and while having the exact same environmental protection, and that is 100,000 solar panels, uh, regardless of Okay, that's of a good subject. I'm glad you brought that up. What do you think about the windmills that are they're being uh, evaluated? You know, I'm a theory person, and I am not a smart person. I'm all common sense. Um, what do you think about uh, this theory about the windmills? Have you been studying that, your group? Absolutely. We support a tremendous number of uh, wind farms. Mm-hmm. And the, the uh, you know, wind energy is without a doubt probably the future, uh, uh, the biggest part of the future of our energy system. Now, somebody asked me something, and you might have the answer. I don't know how much you study or research yourself personally, except for what your reports are. What happens if our global climate change that's coming that's changing all the time like it did for thousands of years it's been changing it comes back it always goes in a circle in time what if some area doesn't get the wind that they used to get what happens there when they become so dependent on that that's a that, you know that's a real risk that's climate change change where all risk where, okay. where the yeah it's, it's risk and i think companies so what would making... be the alternative at the same time that you could have your wind mills but then you have an alternative in case something happens like remember we didn't have always these floods although we did long ago we don't always have the hurricane but we are having some now uh the cli- the earth is having uh going through its circle its cycle have they come up with any ideas that would be with 
the windmills in case there's not enough wind at that moment? Is there another alternative to add to that at the moment to be uh, also used? Yeah, I mean, when you think, think about our energy system now is a portfolio of nuclear, hydro, uh, coal, which is 50%, oil, gas, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. In the future, we're going to have a, uh, a portfolio. It's just going to be a clean portfolio. And I think that wind, um, well, let me say first, there are places where you know wind will be created, and that is where, the, where you have temperature differentials and pressure differentials. So as long as you are on the other side of mountains, on a flat land on the other side of mountains, you can, you'll be able to predict certain things. So I don't think our entire wind system is going to change. But the future of our energy system is going to be a combination of wind, of solar, probably of tidal power, uh, maybe some micro-hydro. Uh, we'll probably keep our nuclear plants at least until they, the current ones go out of commission, and then a, a storage system. I may be missing out on a couple. Geothermal is another one. I may be missing out on a couple. So but you're really that we're going to we're going to have a portfolio that gets us to zero carbon uh, emissions from our entire electric grid. It's almost button. like we're thinking about using the earth cons- the earth to be consistent to give us what we're going to need to for the economy, for all growth of the population and all existence of the word eternity for life to come forward to generations to come depend upon the climate more than ever in history. We're absolutely going we're going to we are learning now how to live in harmony with the environment and I think as we do as we switch to electric uh, uh, oriented cars and the clean electric grid clean heating and all that. Now, I've got to ask you before we go, it might be obvious, but I've got to ask you, what do you think about drilling for more oil and gas? Well, you can't have, uh, the, the short answer is I'm against it, and the slightly longer answer is you can't both be in fa- say that climate change is happening and we need to reduce our emissions by 70 to 80 percent, which is not a political decision, that's a scientific necessity. What about um, a combination? And be, in favor, and be in favor of more oil. What about a combination of a little bit of all? Now, we are in the midst of an election going on, and everybody all over the world is watching, and everybody has their own outlook uh, on what will happen with the economy. Do you think that the administration that might be elected next could become the energy czar? In other words, be uh, the administration to take that out and learn everything there is to learn, and our economy could grow and teach the rest of the world how to do this. Oh, sure. I mean, let, absolutely. We're we're going to have a a technological revolution in energy in this in this world. I think who, it's coming real soon. Oh, it, Eric. it's ha- it's happening right now. Um, I believe you know, the, the thing I have about climate change is that yeah. is that the, the the planet isn't negotiating with us. No, no, planet, this is not a, it's not a political exactly. negotiation. Exactly. We will reduce our emissions by 70 to 80 or 90 percent, and that means we will be fueled by clean energy, and whoever develops it first is going to sell it to the rest of us. And well, you know what I think? I've got a prediction, and um, it's just a, a theory. I believe that what's going to happen in the very near future is the United States of America is going to be the teacher for the economy of the world. They'll come to us and learn as they used to forever, learning. They've learned so much from this country. 
Uh, this country has found it because of what happened with the shortage of gas and what has been happening with all of this confusion about climate change. I believe in the next administration it could be that they'll be energy czars. They'll be the people who understand it the best and would possibly our economy would grow and teach the rest of the world of how to do this and becomes an, another exciting new development where the United States uh, would become a superpower of maybe having more knowledge about that to teach other people. I, it's just an idea I have. But you're doing something wonderful in your group. Um, keep it up. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners before you go? I, I think I'll start. I'll finish with what I started with, and that is we need to realize that we're all responsible for this, and we all need to be part of the solution. I think that's very important. That is called proactive, right? We have to be proactive, and if we take it in, in steps, we, can, we, re, we realize we can do this. It is not all doom and gloom. And it can happen with time. Well, it, thank it'll you. happen over time. Thank you for what you're doing, and let's do another show, because I know after the show you'll think, I wish I would have thought of more, because I also add to my part. But right. uh, you tell everyone I said hello, Thanks. and I hope we can have you again one day. Thanks so much, Darren. You have a nice day. You too. Mm-hmm. Bye. Well, I hope you learned a little bit. We're, we're coming into an era that's very exciting for all of us. I, uh, it's really fascinating what we were ha- happening with all of our... Uh, what's happening with the world, climate change, because climate, we're living with Earth. It's not going to live with us. How are we going to do this for our generations to pay it forward? And uh, we want to invite you to listen to the show. It's easy listening, but there's a lot to listen to here. Uh, These parts of the show are always learning new about your health and new about future generations. If you learn, you're going to pass that on to your generation and generations to come. We're going to listen to our sponsor, uh, Nature Sears Eye Mist for dry eye, all environmentally empowering, and you can use it as a supplement to replace the moisture loss that the air does not give you. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with our second guest, is Mayor Kirk Hansen from Soda Springs, Idaho. We'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the power of water, global warming, and your health. And we just had an exciting education about your environment. And our second guest is going to be as Mayor Kirk Hansen. Are you with us, with us, Mayor Hansen? Yes, I am. Thank you for taking time to join us today. We're sitting over in Soda Springs, Idaho. That is correct. Okay, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll learn about more where you're sitting there today in Idaho. 
but how, how did you get where you're at today? Well, as the mayor, I uh, ran for election as a young man when I was uh, about 23 years ago. Uh, I've been the mayor. This is my 23rd year. You're kidding. No, ma'am. That is uh, correct. <laughs> now, I've got to ask you before we move on, Mayor Hansen, how do you feel? How important is the mayor's job? Well, and uh, it doesn't matter the size of the community. I guess that's why I, uh, I so have... So what does a mayor do for any size of the community? Well, he's the chief executive officer. How's that for a big title? Okay, and you have to oversee money. Uh, well, we have a, a clerk treasurer that does that. But yeah, but you have to take responsibility with it. And what about true. everything that goes on in your community? You're overseeing some d- judgments and decisions on that, right? Well, I am. Uh, without the reason I did that, Mayor Hansen, is you probably heard that uh, our um, the mayor, the governor out of uh, Alaska, was criticized that she was just a mayor. And that's why I did that for you. I I believe that a mayor, when they're elected by their community, has big responsibilities. I don't care what size of community you're in. But you just told me you've been doing it for 23 years. That is quite, they have a lot of confidence in you. Well, it's been fun. Uh, it really has. Lots of good people to work with. And uh, you surround your, yourself with good people, they make you look, they make you look good. So <laughs> fairly rewarding, actually. I like what you just said. <laughs> Well, you kept being well. Actually, I want to. I think they're all grateful that you're doing this because when you do have somebody who's had some executive experience, how do you train get somebody else up to speed with it? I wanted to ask you, uh, you how obviously you've been living in Soda Springs a long time. Yes, ma'am. And tell us about your your uh, the nature of your. You've got uh, geysers. You've got no end of natural wonders there. Yes, we do. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, first of all, the, our our real uh, kind of claim to fame is a is a geyser that is in the Ripley's. Believe it or not, it's the world's only captive geyser. Back in hmm. the early 1900s, they were drilling uh, a well to try to find hot water for uh, bathhouses. Oh. <laughs> and uh, what they found was huh? this uh, effervescent water that was under high pressure. It wasn't very warm, so they they never did build the bathhouses. And so it, did it just gush out and did. they were startled? <laughs> it just came under extreme pressure from down about 380 feet, uh, you know, underground. What year was that? Would have been in about the 19, I just read again that the about the late 1930s. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine pursuing to find something and all of a sudden you think you create, you just discovered the natural wonder that nobody else probably has because they didn't know they had it? Well, they did. So what did, what did they do with it? Well, they didn't know what to do with it initially. It uh, just kind of ran, and then they capped it. Okay. And a few decades later, uh, folks said, you know, we really ought to use this. So they uh, they started turning a valve on manually, and they'd let it mm-hmm. shoot about 175, 200 feet in the air just for people to look at. <laughs> and then uh, sometime later, actually prior to my administration, uh, it went on a timer. And uh, uh-huh. was set to go off every hour on the hour. Now it's com- now it's controlled by a computer. And, uh-huh. computer, and what is the temperature of it? Uh, the, the, the water is really kind of lukewarm. It's okay. not hot at all. But anyway, every hour on the hour, it goes off, and uh, and if the wind blows from certain directions, it, uh, the computer tells it not to to go off because it'll blow the water onto some neighboring structures. So we have to be a little mm-hmm. bit careful. But it's a, it's a lot of fun. 
Uh-huh. So I can you imagine way back in time, they probably were having an event going on, and when people came to the event, they could say, we're going to let the geyser go today so you can see it. It happened then, and I, I confess to you <laughs> that it happens now. Oh, it does now. Oh, yeah. well, Come on, Mayor, can you turn it on for a special group so we have we haven't turned it on? <laughs> I, I really, I'm glad I found it that. Okay, what uh, in your area then? Uh, is there a lot of other guys? Because like I know in, in Oregon, we have over in in uh, Klamath Falls area uh, a lot of thermal uh, systems going on. Do you have other systems going on in in that area that are like this one? No, not not like this one at all. There's a lot of ah. mineral water springs hmm. that are natural to the area, but hmm. this is the one that's really the only one that's really under pressure at all. Uh-huh. Uh, some people say it's tied to all the activity that exists in Yellowstone National Park. Okay, but you know how do you how do you prove that? But how, a, how far are you from Yellowstone National Park? We're about 200 miles uh, from Yellowstone. Uh-huh. Did you have a lot of volcanic activity there at one time? Oh yes. Okay. Uh, very much so. There we come. There we go. Yeah, the Earth's adjustment there. Uh, and within about hundreds of miles, uh, there's an influence there. Yeah. Yep, for sure. And tell us what else you have to offer there in Idaho Springs. Or, I mean, starting Soda Springs in Idaho. Is there some other things that people wanted to come to that area to be a guest? Well, there, there is. Uh, first of all, we have uh, one of Idaho's scenic routes. Uh, the state designates certain uh, roads as scenic routes, and the Bear Lake Caribou Scenic Route comes right through Soda Springs, comes up, mm-hmm. uh, begins at the Utah border, and comes up through uh, what they call the Bear Lake area, which is a gorgeous area south of us. Comes through Soda Springs and out north, and then ends up back uh, touching on the Wyoming border, and it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous scenic. So you're on the border of Utah and Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming, and uh, and you're in Idaho. So now you talked about the Bear Lake area. Is that a national forest around it too? There are national forests all around us. Uh, we're at about uh, our our community is at about 5,800 feet above sea level. Oh, okay. We have lots of pine trees. Uh, we're uh, we're very high, and there's uh, national forests surrounding all of the areas here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How beautiful! Now the lake is a lake, a full recreation lake, or is it mostly for fishing and? Both. Uh, lots of recreation because it straddles the Idaho-Utah border, and okay. so it gets lots of usage by folks from both states. I know people all over the world, uh, Mayor, are always looking for other places to go than they've been. And if they're coming a direction through Utah, Wyoming, coming that way, if there's a place to come with other lodges there? Yes. There's fairly good lodging in all the areas, both in the Bear Lake area and here as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, all they need to do is look at a map, look for the scenic route, and the uniqueness, too, is that we have the first and the only historic pioneer route. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> there are places that you Now, when you say a pioneer, is that like a wag- wagon wheel or a, a, a past wagon wheel route? Well, uh, yes route no. coming? The Oregon Trail comes right through Soda Springs, the original. Okay, Oregon. that's what I was after. Yeah. Okay. The other route, though, the pioneer historic route, begins at the Utah border, different from the scenic route, mm-hmm. and it... Uh, it parallels and talks very much about as you stop and visit different places about the settling of this part of the West, and it's a very unique, very beautiful drive. So the state of Idaho, a number of years ago, after some lobbying by uh, myself and some other good folks, decided uh, this is something we really need to do. So we have a historic route and a scenic route. 
Okay, wonderful. Now, um, do you have a website that people could go to 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 learn more about your area? SodaSpringsIdaho.org. Yep. Okay, SodaSpringsIdaho.org, and that would tell you about the recreation that's available, the different um, nature uh, wonders that are available, like the different lakes and hiking and some of those uh, shared. Um, um, paths that you said that are like the Oregon Trail or di- different uh, areas to go that are not. What, what would what would be one thing that you think, with all of your experience, that your that Soda Springs, besides the geyser, could offer for people coming that direction that could come through uh, for a visit would be the most unique thing besides the geyser? Is there something else that you'd like to add to this? Well, just the natural scenic beauty of the area. And the fact that you're probably 5,600 feet high, too. Right. I mean, we have uh, beautiful mountains and streams and rivers, and uh, we have it all. The wildlife, uh, the mountain flowers, it's uh, it's just a gorgeous place to come and visit. And your fish, if they're fishing uh, during season, what are the different fishing seasons? Well, uh, there are some lakes here, actually, that are open year-round. Uh, obviously, it's open water during the, the spring and summer and fall, but in the winter, all the lakes are frozen. And uh, ice fishing is very popular. People cut off okay. the ice and fish through the ice. and So there's fishing year-round. Okay. If they decide to come and have fun fishing through the ice and they've never done it before, are there some are there people there that they could teach them how to do it? Very easy. Heaven's okay. yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I think we've learned a lot about it. 5,600 feet high. You have a beautiful wonder of a geyser and all the nature for people around the world to, to really learn more about and come and enjoy and, and also smell fresh air, right? I'm sorry? And smell the fresh air. Absolutely. Delicious. Yep. When, well, the wind, have... when, the, when the wind blows here, which is a little bit every day, uh, we don't have chance for any, uh, any dirty air. It's uh, always Good. fresh. So. Well, Mayor, you, uh, I wish you best in your job, and I appreciate sharing your uh, community with us. And um, if I'm sure that if there's any other subjects you ever would like to share with us, uh, please give us a call, and we'll do this again someday. That'll be great. Thank you for the invitation. You have a nice day. It's been enjoyable. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Did you hear that? Uh, 5,600 feet high, a geyser that shoots high in the air that they, it was discovered in the 30s that they had no idea it was there. They've got the lakes, they've got the forest, they've got the fishing, and have you ever been ice fishing at 5,600 feet high? Um, that sounds del- delicious uh, to go and get your therapy, get some fresh air, and that's something in with our world we need to think about, too. Where you're living, try to get an escape where there's fresh air for you. That's very healthy. It slows the dehydration, absorbs the moisture level, the energy, and the oxygen. Thank you for joining us today, and we I think we've learned a lot. And remember, our earth is growing, and we are need to learn what we need to learn for ourselves to pass it on to the next generation. The power of water is all life. We must protect the water, but we need to learn what we can do with our earth. And we need to learn to be very moderate and learning what we don't go extreme because we're not always sure when we've decided to do something, what is going to happen for the health of the generations to come. Earth has that secret. 
and the secret that we share with each other, we need to embrace our lives as people and understand we are affecting the ecosystem with other people's lives. So embrace your life, but also know to hug another person's life. You may never meet them, but it can be a hug. Remember that Earth is whispering a secret. Never say goodbye. If you don't say goodbye, then you'll always leave that footprint behind that you did something you wanted everybody to remember that was a good deed. And I want to thank you for listening. Have a nice day. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. 